Hello and welcome to the Out of Space Games Podcast, episode 12, take 2. I didn't actually mess up the first time, but... Uh... That's a lie. So today, instead of one like overarching topic or theme, we're just going to discuss a, a ton of games that we've had the opportunity to play from a variety of different genres. So, uh, I guess my name is Jay. My name is Sean. I'm David. I'm Jared. I'm Dean. Now, David, just in case your computer crashes, you should just like chuckle right now. Uh, stuff and just <laughs> copy and paste it. Do, do five, do five different reactions, and then Jay will loop them in. <laughs> All right, awesome. So we just got like 30 minutes of Dave's yeah. audio. <laughs> yeah, so uh, those of you who listened to episode 11, you might have noticed that Dave's audio is a little bit messed up and you didn't hear his signature chuckle. That's because we had some technical issues, but we were able to uh, snag his some of his contributions and get some audio in that in that way. But All right, so Jared and I were able to get a demo of Zephyr, Winds of Change, from a somewhat local Michigan-based brand-new game design company. The name of the company is Portal Dragon Games, and again, the name of the board game is Zephyr Winds of Change. These guys were at Gen Con, and they've been making, I guess, the local rounds in terms of gaming conventions and stuff like that, even comic conventions. And we had the opportunity to sit down and, and test their game with a few other locals at one of our local game stores. So just a quick overview. This game is a steampunk, cooperative, four-player. Modular. Yes, modular. That's like the key word you hear probably like 20 times as we talk about it. Um, <laughs> where you all pilot airships and you equip it with different crew and resources, upgrades and stuff as you, I guess, go through like quests and missions to complete like an overarching journey which can last a few game turns to, um, you know, a couple hours of gameplay. So, like we said, and we will say again, it's quite modular. Almost everything in the game is customizable from what you decide to buy, purchase, upgrade, all the upgrades you have at your disposal, and the enemies and the missions that come up. So just a ton of variety and different ways to kind of extend the life of the gameplay in that way. The only piece of the game that's really not customizable is, I would say, maybe like the skeleton of your ship. So there's four different classes of ships, and they they all have like a similar um, like structured skill tree, basically, that you build onto. Mm-hmm. And that's really the only thing that remains the same from game to game. But one of the cool things about being able to do the demo local, we were able to record some thoughts and feedback right after we were finished. And also one of the creators, John, he sat down with us and was able to shed some insight as well. So what I'm going to do now is play some quick audio from like literally five seconds after we finished playing, we just sat around and talked. So just some initial impressions, feedback, and a little sales pitch from John. 
So we'll play that right now. Hey, what's up? This is Jay from Out of Space Games. We just finished playing Zephyr Winds of Change from Portal Games here based in Michigan. Like I said, my name is Jay. I'm joined by uh, Jared from Out of Space Games as well. Hey, I'm Josh. Marcus. So yeah, basically sat down. We're able to demo it with John from Portal Games. We're just going to talk real quick about some quick impressions, what we thought about it. Uh, not a full-on review, but just get you some general impressions. Anyone want to start? Sure, I'll start. Um, I thought the game was really fun. The, the gameplay was fairly straightforward with uh, a drawing action. I really like the play mats for each individual uh, like player. It really lets you like kind of feel what the your ship can do. And even though we played like a tutorial style, it was kind of easy to see how you would upgrade your ship um, in a full style game. I like the customizability of that. Each ship's different, you can build it out however you want. And I was really looking forward to the whole upgrade process, even though that wasn't part of the demo. Yeah, the, the demo, uh, I feel like we got an idea of part of the mechanics of the game, but uh, what interested me most was the different uh, options you have for missions. The wave style format was really unique. I don't, I can't think of another game that offers that sort of unlimited potential, you know, go until you can't go any more options, which I really liked. Yeah, that horde mode seems cool. I think it's going to be one of those games where no game is the same. You know, right. every time you play it, it's going to be different because of what enemies you face or how much, you know, scrap you have. Or even, like, how you outfit your ship, you know, like, I played as the greaser, the tug, I think they called it. Like, I could have outfitted it almost like a glass cannon with just, like, straight damage and screw my, you know, my my health. But Or you can build it, like, straight tank and just sit there and take the damage for everybody, um, which I think is pretty cool. I really like their components, too. Yeah, I can't wait to see, like, it actually manufactured. I mean, it's a great prototype anyway. They have nice plexiglass and uh, chits and everything and markers and so. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, definitely, and it gives you the option to, to play as a group, you know, or to really kind of even go off on your own oh, yeah. and stand a chance, which, um, you know, there's just such a wide range of things you can do, which is pretty unique. Yeah, I like how it scales from, because each one of those missions said one to four players, and I'm sure if they have more, they'll still be able to scale that way, so being able to sit down with friends or just do it by yourself. Well, and it almost feels like a game that could be easily like an expansion drop-on, <laughs> you know, where you could... Like, more bosses, more, you know, six players, more ships. Exactly, more ships, more abilities and stuff, so. Upgrades. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dice rolling is a pretty big part of it, but I don't yeah. I don't feel like it, you're still able to make strategic decisions and, and tactical things. I did end up getting wiped because of a bad uh, dice roll, but um, it was preventable had I sequenced things a little differently. Yeah, and I feel like as you, as the bosses go up in tier, I think the dice rolls almost might become more important. You know, if you're making five dice rolls for a boss, really what what you're rolling does kind of depend a lot. But it'll give you more, like, plays, too, on your end to be able to, like, counteract those dice yeah, rolls. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and even even with the dice rolling, having the ability to see what their different outcomes would be added some flavor to it. You know, it's not totally random. You know, what are heavy hitters we're going to evade. Uh, that was nice. Yeah. You want to jump in? Sure. I actually was like, I was just talking with Michael, and I was like, man, I want to hear what you guys are saying. <laughs> what were you talking about with dice? It adds some random elements to it, but you can still strategically play around it. It's right. not. It's not completely. You know. Dependent yeah. It was on not designed to be a high strategy game. I mean, we're not playing chess. You know, kind of a thing. It's more of like prepping yourself to 
deal with the possible. You know, kind of a thing. You don't know what's going to come out. You don't know what card's going to draw. You don't know what enemy ship's going to come out. You don't know what the dice are going to do. But you put yourself in a position where you could deal with it. And that's really like a reflection of, you know, life in general ends up being if you were out there. I mean, I guess I, I like high strategy games too. It's very cool. It's awesome when you can have the perfect thing go together and stuff. But I, I think it almost heightens that experience when the random element's in there because you go, yes, I pulled it off. Well, you know, I had a one in six chance. It could have been the worst thing that. This is John, by the way, from Portal Games, one of the designers, creators. Yeah. We have a two-man design team. Uh, it's me, uh, John Meatlane, and Aaron Cook. We're from Michigan. We're um, in the Lapeer area, actually. And we basically are trying to take our hobby and turn it into a career, hopefully, <laughs> is where we're at. Are you guys currently looking to you know, put this out on Kickstarter? I know you have your own website. Right now we're doing crowdfunding on our website. What it is is kind of it's a... Kickstarter for Kickstarter. <laughs> so what we're doing is we're offering uh, early opportunities for people to support our game and get in on their backer levels early. So then that way you don't have to mess with the rush or anything like that. Um, both to end up building uh, some attention when we end up doing events like today. When we come out and play with you guys, I mean, instead of going, well, save the date, we're going to be on Kickstarter in like six months or something. And if your dishwasher doesn't break, then you should buy a copy, you know, um, you know, because life happens and stuff. And so we want people to end up being, when we talk to you today, you should be able to do something about it today, you know, and that's kind of what we were looking at. And it also will help offset the cost of our Kickstarter. Kickstarter, of course, takes a percentage of the profits that you end up getting from Kickstarter. And to me, it makes more sense to end up using our supporters' money to make the game than to pay Kickstarter. Now, I still love Kickstarter. We Kickstarter a lot of projects and stuff ourselves, uh, personally, and, and we know that people trust it, and that's why we're going to Kickstarter at some point. But if we can offset those costs, and then that gives it op- us an opportunity to use more of the money for the actual project than paying for the logistics and stuff and some of the marketing and all that, whatever, if we can pull it off on our own. So, I mean, we're doing grassroots kind of campaigning right now or we're kind of taking it one-on-one you know and stuff and um i mean the gaming industry is is that way it's not we don't have advertisement you know you don't pay for a radio spot or you're not on the super bowl or anything like that even mayfair is not making super bowl ads that's just the reality of our industry so i mean we're do that's what we're doing we're taking advantage of the people who are um well i'm sorry not taking advantage of the people we're taking advantage of the opportunity we have by meeting the people that are out here playing games. And so we come to game shops, we do events and stuff, and we want them to have an opportunity to act now. And so it is a little bit longer of a campaign. We right now are open-ended, but it's driving towards a Kickstarter, which is a loose plan right now for the New Year, around New Year's, is when we're looking at doing our uh, crowdfunding actual launch of Kickstarter. But now you can get on there, and we're offering discounts, actually, Today we have a coupon for 20% off, and by the time this goes up, probably won't end up being active anymore. <laughs> That's right. You, um, should, you should still check the game. Is that for boardgame.com? It's got a lot of info, a cool video, um, kind of just showing different parts of it. Yeah, we have some tutorial videos on there too that go in the game section that go over like how some of the components work, and we're still, you know, we're working on some more to add up there and stuff. And of course, podcasts like this and uh, other uh, videos for reviews and stuff like that. We're trying to get as much of it as we can so people can see the game because that's one of the biggest things is we need to get in front of people's eyes. And it's, and most people who sit down and play the game, they enjoy it. And it's it's hard to get people to that point. Everyone's getting... nodding their heads. You know, can't hear them. <laughs> so getting people to the point where they can actually play the game and actually form an opinion of it is, is the hardest thing in this industry, you know, is, is getting in front of someone, you know. So... No, yeah. very cool. I think we all had a great time. Speaking for myself, I, I had a great time. I think it's it's unique. I like the theme of it. And again, just how modular and how much freedom you have to 
Yeah, we really wanted to make a game that was modular. That was one of the big parts. And I mean, that's in our tagline. It's a modular cooperative, you know. But there are so many games that I love that you are done playing after you bought it like a month. You know, you're like, I played this to death. And now it's like, what? I got to wait for an expansion. And then I end up like four expansions down the road. And I'm like, I got a shelf full of like half empty boxes of all these expansions and things like that. We didn't really want that to end up happening, even though we are planning expansions. We want it to be that when you sit down to play the game, it's going to be a unique experience every time. And with the dice rolls, with the random exploration cards that come up and uh, the fact that it's pulling from a lot of different cards to give that modularity, it makes it unique every time you play it. So hopefully you'll get a lot more than a month's play out of it. Um, we do have expansions planned for an additional up to uh, four more ships that we're going to end up having. And there's actually is a... Uh, and well, it would be a ninth ship, actually, that if we end up having enough supporters on our early crowdfunding, then everybody who goes on our website and gets it will get an exclusive ship that's only for them. Now, we need enough people, of course, to make that worthwhile because um, we have two people on there. It's not going to be worth it. But that's one of the things is uh, we're going to have a, a ship. with It's going to come with its deck, its factions, and everything, and that's going to be only for people who buy it on our site. So if we get enough support that way, we'll have another cool thing like a little mini stretch goal there. Cool. Yeah. So any last thoughts, guys, on no, it's just uh, it's really cool to hear, you know, to get information on, a, especially a local game designer. I feel like uh, most of the major players in the gaming industry, especially with it being is uh, global, you know, it's totally an international game. Absolutely. And to find a game uh, that's this high quality being made in, in Michigan is uh, really inspiring. So hopefully, I look forward to you know getting on the website, doing a little bit more investigation, and, and hopefully. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a trend you want to see continue and increase. So that's cool. wonderful. Yeah. Any last words from me? Uh, no, you said check out the site, and that's one of the big things you need to do. I mean, we just need to get as many people as we can to take a look, and uh, that's the thing. So our uh, our Twitter um, is The Portal Dragon. Our Facebook is also The Portal Dragon. Um, and uh, you said our website is com. So, yeah, just check it out. All right, awesome. So I'd like to thank you uh, for joining us and for playing the game. Thank John for bringing it. No problem. Yeah, back to the podcast. All right, cool. So from what you heard from the feedback, I think everyone had a great time playing it. The demo was probably, what, close to an hour, I feel like. Oh, I feel like it was longer than that. Yeah, I mean, it I felt like it might have been like an hour and a half. <laughs> he ran it more as like a tutorial yeah. um, than like a, a demo as in, like, here's the rules, go play it. It was much more like a video game tutorial with like, click here and shoot this and but when he got distracted talking to somebody else we did play like a turn by ourselves and, um, it does seem like a really interesting game and I'm definitely going to be you know keeping tabs on it going forward yeah I think the theme it's kind of interesting because I feel like steampunk is so tied in with this you know geek culture but I don't feel like there's that many games that take place within even just the generic like steampunk universe you know Right. I would agree. During the demo and in the play session, I guess you'd call it, he made a reference to Firefly. And I felt, although, like, the artwork looks steampunk and, like, the airships are steampunk, it felt very much like it could be set in the Firefly universe as well. Uh Uh, You know, with the band of misfits that are going on quests um, in a somewhat anarchist society. That's what it reminded me of when I was reading the description. Millennium that, Falcon. You know, they have a ship, a crew, and they're running quests or missions. And they're fighting pirates. 
Yeah. So for me, that screamed Firefly. Yeah, basically space pirates and stuff. And he, he did mention the Firefly vibe. I mean, it's not like he shied away from it. No, yeah, he did. I mean, he, he mentioned, like, you know, captaining your favorite ship, whether it's Firefly or Star Trek or whatever your fancy is. I don't know. Do you guys have any questions? Yeah, so, like, the upgrades to the ships. You said you couldn't modify the skeleton, but is everything else customizable? Yeah. We do have a video coming out of that play session as well, so we can try to detail. Just because John did such a good job of explaining everything. Okay. You can get a real sense for how the game is played and how everything is worked out. But each ship has upgrade slots, you'll call them. Crew slots, and they have, like, hull upgrades in terms of your health and armor. So, like, those don't change. You pick your ship, and then you're stuck with those options for your layout. But you can choose to lay them out differently. For instance, my ship, I can only do, like, the basic armor or the basic health upgrade, while other ships, they could do the armor, which replenished itself at the beginning of each turn. I was basically like a glass cannon build, so very combat-focused on my upgrades. It's meant to be, like, cheap, quick, and dirty, you know? Not a lot of health, get in there, fire a ton of weapons, and then hopefully I, I kill them before they can kill me. Okay. Yeah, but Jared, your ship was... Alright, um, so a more of, I guess, a tanky build. Just for reference, there's four, um, I guess you would call classes of airships. Jay played as the glass cannon. There is also, like, an evasive maneuvers one. Yeah. And then a tank. And then a tank, which I played, and then kind of like a, I don't know, all-purpose, kind of, kind of do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that can do everything kind of relies on their crew a little bit more than um, the other ships do. But So, yeah, my ship I was able to, I had some decent weapons, but I also had um, two armor. And so the armor, as opposed to the health, after a battle, um, you, can re- you have the option to repair your armor as opposed to your health, which you have to go back to, like, town, basically, to heal. One of the things that I thought was interesting, and I I couldn't really determine whether or not I liked it about the game or I didn't like it, was the fact that pretty much you go through and you play this, like, set of missions, and you customize, build your ships out for it, get your crew, and then once those missions are done, you're done. There is no, like long-term campaign style to it, which I thought, given the the sense that you're spending all this time building and, and customizing your outfit, to me it would make sense that there would be a longer campaign model um, that you'd be able to keep your ships for in the future. Yeah, I wonder, I, I hope they make that a, a house rule or something. I guess we never asked that while we were there, but in thinking about it afterwards, I came to the like the same conclusion, because it almost feels like the beginning of the game is similar to a deck building game where, you know, you have your basic layouts. And as you play through the game, you'll defeat enemies and you'll gain basically scrap and junk to be able to upgrade and purchase more upgrades to make your ship better. But it seems like, yeah, every time you sit down to play, if you're starting over, essentially, then it, it makes it kind of, I don't know. Like the the worst part of deck building games is that first five you know right first couple turns and if you're forced to do that every game if we've played it before let's get to the late game earlier that way we can have more fun with it 
So this game increases the difficulty by increasing like the tier of the missions. So as you, if you're longer into your quest, more days have passed and the enemies will be in the next tier and you just adjust their stats accordingly. So maybe you would be able to keep certain upgrades and just increase the tier by one that you're at. Maybe give it an extra attack roll for the enemy or something. If they're already at level three, just so that you can start with a more powerful ship, but still have the fun of the combat and exploring without starting over every time. Yeah, like I, I kind of compare it a little bit to like you know some of your grinding video games, you know, like WoW or, or Diablo. Everyone hates those first like you know thirty levels where you're just like so weak, and then you get this good character and you you've spent all this time grinding out gear or whatever, and then it's like all right. Let's restart. See, you know, it's let's just do it all over again. I don't know. I, I think a, a longer campaign is needed for when you do get your ship really, you know, sweet. Um, at least make some sort of, you know, elite mode or, or hardcore mode so you can play with that ship over and over again. Yeah. And another thing that comes along with that modular model, I hope that there's not just like one optimal skill tree to take. Yeah. Because he kind of gave us recommended layout, and hopefully those are in the rule book. Because I think that was very helpful. But at the same time, I hope that's not like the best one either. Because if if it's going to be modular, then in theory, it would be best if almost any combination of things made your ship playable and still fun. You know, and you weren't forced into a certain playstyle. Yeah, it would just be like if in Magic. You know, for every color of cards, there was only one deck you could play. It would just get boring after a while. You know, mm-hmm. it'd be almost like it'd be like spreadsheets, just checking the boxes. Oh, I have this. I have this. I have this. Now I'm unstoppable. Yeah. But I don't know necessarily that we got a good enough feel for the game in our one play session to say whether or not that is a part of the game or not. So I don't yeah. really know that it's a critique. It's maybe just something we're looking for, keeping an eye on as we go forward. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's something I want to try out again, play again, to get a better feel for it. So we don't want to sound like we're bashing it. And you could tell from the interview, I mean, we we had a good time playing it. But I think when you go for something too modular, though, uh, that's one of the dangers that you can fall into. I don't know, anything else from you guys? I don't know. Did it seem like you could, like, min-max certain classes or anything like that? Or... Well, I, the crew members do kind of dictate what your power, your abilities are. Each crew member has a unique, like once per mission, once per quest type of thing. So they make the game feel different in that respect. Some of it's the luck of the draw because you, you do build up scrap by defeating enemies. And that's done by a, a dice roll. So if you roll a six, you'll get six scrap. But if you roll, you know, ones. Yeah. Doesn't work as well. Um, it's interesting because it is cooperative. Some of the gameplay is simultaneous, so you can each choose to go on different missions, or you can all choose to go on one or split it up however you want to. So battles okay. aren't always like you go and then I go. Sometimes it's just, okay, everyone fight your own battles. And then if you happen to be in the same spot, then you do have to work together with your resources more. But then okay. at the end of each day, you can also pool your resources and, um, you can choose to, like, I guess, give everything to one person, I suppose, if you wanted to, and roll in terms of, like, one big 
group, but I think you lose out on if you were to split up and, and each take uh, a mission on your own or something. I don't know. Like, I guess I would want a chance to play the game because, for me, steampunk is, isn't something I'm attracted to. That sounds odd, but like... Is that the aesthetic or the people that are into it? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring up the second part, but yeah, that plays into it a little bit. I don't know. I feel like it's just everywhere right now, which is, I mean, I'm not saying like I liked it before it was cool. I never liked it at all. So, uh, it, you know. Okay, Dave. I, I don't know. Like, it just, there's something about it that doesn't appeal to me. Like, it's all futuristic, but it's really way in the past. I, you just like to wear your monocle around all the time. Well, yeah, I guess so. Like, if you're going to be sci-fi, just go sci-fi in the future, man. Don't don't mix genres on me. I don't know. I mean, that's how I, I feel about the theme, too. I'm not a big steampunk. But I don't think it takes away. I mean, it doesn't make me attracted to the game. But all right. I think it's tied in well. Like, all right, go ahead, Dean. Uh, no, I was just asking, but does it make you unattractive? Not attracted. Yeah. Not really. I mean, I mean, we started off saying Firefly. It could easily be a Firefly type of game, or any type of you know captain of the ship game. I think they went with this because it is somewhat unique, and you don't see it in gaming, maybe enough, or <laughs> maybe this one game is enough. <laughs> so, I should mention combat real quick. It's a pretty important part of the game. Most of the game is is basically a random card draw, encounter type of thing. And then the rest of the game, I feel like anyway, is combat. Combat is card-based, so based on how many crew and upgrades you have, will determine how many cards you can draw, and then you can play different types of cards. There's like technical, combat, and maneuver. So you can basically play one of those types of cards every turn. It adds a little bit of a... Randomness? Yeah, because you're, you're cycling through your deck, and as you add upgrades and stuff... It is added to your deck, like a deck building game. So as you upgrade your ship, you build a combat deck, which you cycle through and play against enemies. Uh, enemies attack you, it's simultaneous. So even if you have enough to kill it, they still get a chance to attack you too, or do their attacks. And to do that, they roll a dice, and then depending on what result it is, they either hit you or take less damage or any number of things. So... There's an enemy ship deck, and there's also an enemy commander deck. So if an enemy commander is called for, they basically attach themselves to the ship and make the ship stronger. And then at the very end of all the quests, there's usually a boss fight. So you have to fight a commander and any other minions he spawns. The little yellow minions from Despicable Me. Yeah, that's only if you get the Gru enemy as uh, your commander. Makes sense. That would totally make me play the game. I know. <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> All right, so that's our game idea. So when they ne- make the next Minions movie, we'll uh, capitalize on that. <laughs> but I think that's a that's a pretty good overview of, of Zephyr. And along with the, the interview impressions, it should be a, a healthy clip. Yeah. I hope to talk to these guys again. As they actually launched their Kickstarter. Yeah, check out ZephyrBoardGame.com.
So a game that we haven't talked about very much on our podcast, if at all, uh, but that, that is extremely popular, is the trading card game Hearthstone by Blizzard. I know Sean and I both play it. I don't believe any of the other group, any of the guys in the group do. But Hearthstone kind of builds on the classes that are already in place in WoW. You have your warrior, your hunter, your mage, your warlock, paladin, priest, rogue, and I think that's it. Yeah, there's there's nine classes. So if you mention if there's nine, yeah, hopefully that was nine. Um, each class has their own specific hero power, as well as specific cards to that class, as well as there being neutral cards that any class can use. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about it in this episode is that they recently announced their what, third expansion, Sean? Fourth expansion? Uh, they just had their third biggest thing, the Grand Tournament. I guess it's the second official expansion, but um, yeah, it brought in a lot of new cards and some different game mechanics, such as Inspire. So the previous deck was Goblins and Robots, and then in this one, let's see, you have Knights and... Of course, you have your new legendary cards, but... You have things that you would find, like, at a Renaissance Fair Grand Tournament. So you have squires and, like, um, supporters and knights and dueling champions. And... Yeah, and then these new cards seem to support the individual classes more than just being powerful as a card on its own. So you have, I guess like a slight rebalance on some of the classes. Like there was obvious tiers of better classes before and this expansion I guess kind of balances which p- classes are used more now. Since the rest of us don't play this game at all, what would you say like gets you playing her This game like, is why? it's um it's obviously derived from Magic the Gathering, which a lot of these card games are, but it's a simplified version of it. Your stones, or uh, the magic equivalent is mana, is its own separate thing, so you won't ever get mana screwed. Like, you get one more stone every turn, so you'll always have your power source to draw from. So the big thing that got me into her stone is, one, it's free to play. Although they do have a pay mechanic, you can get pretty much all the cards just by playing through and grinding your way through games. Uh, Second, it has... A solo game mechanic. So you don't always have to play against people online. They have like missions basically that you can go on. Okay. Is it like. So like they have like a campaign. So one of them is like the Black Rock Mountain. And you go through and you have to fight various different bosses that have different hero powers than a typical hero, different cards, and you unlock more cards that way. As you play. Okay. That's As you play. Um, and then the thirdly is that it has like, like all Blizzard games do. It has their matchmaking system. Mm -hmm. So if you play ranked, then it matches you against people of similar ranks. So if you are just starting, you're just playing against other people, theoretically, that are just starting. Um, And as you get better, you play better and better people. You gain more cards by completing, like, little quests, such as um, kill 40 minions or win three matches as a shaman. And then, so you get points that allow you to then get card packs. 
Now, you can purchase these packs with real money. Yeah, because my next question was how competitive can you be without spending money? Um, yeah. It's very hard to be top tier, but it is doable. Like, there's one YouTube guy that plays non-legendary decks, and he he is successful at it. But most people, it's going to be hard. Okay. Yeah, I've never bought a pack. Last season, I finished, like, at rank. I think the highest I've gotten is 12. So, the, basically, you just move your way up ranks, which are, like, tiers, basically. Yeah. It, I w- it would be, like, a level, and you can go up and down. So... I think it's fun to play regardless if you want to sink the money into it. If you want to be a you know professional, then you're going to have to put some money into it. It would take yeah. you, you know, you'd have to play 12 hours a day to get the, the legendary cards you needed otherwise. Gotcha. Okay. And it's mobile, you know, it's on all like the tablet devices and all that. So, you know, I can grab the iPad while I'm in bed and just play a match or two. A match takes, what, Sean, maybe less than five minutes yeah it depends on what if they have like a control deck it might take up to 10 minutes at most and then they also they don't allow you to trash talk the only way you can communicate with your opponent are through pre-selected phrases so that kind of takes out some of the negativity oh okay yeah it's just all positive i like the card you played there well, you can say like like oops or like you can kind of do like a oh, taunt okay. like Yeah, there's one taunt in there which <laughs> they're all yeah. super lame, but uh-huh. I think because Blizzard has such a reputation in other games of people just like you know raging out and Well, uh, yeah, especially it's the wow you know. and like StarCraft. I think they just wanted this more as a friendly style game. Okay. No, that's cool. I mean, something I've always glanced at like Almost everyone I know that plays games plays it. Yeah, it, like I said, it's not a new game by any means, but if you haven't checked it out yet, I think at least worth a download and give it a weekend of play just to yeah. see if you want to hang on. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's super addictive. Oh, it is. A cash cow it, for, it is. for a reason. Yeah, they make like insane amounts, like 15 or 20 mil a month yeah. from this game. But um, yeah, it's one of the best free-to-play games, I think, because... You can earn, like Jared was saying, you can earn uh, most of the cards on your own without spending a dime. That's the trap, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sean, do you feel like the cards are seeded at all? Like, um, I don't know. Um, in my opinion, I feel like it's legitimately, as a free-to-play player, I'm not like getting screwed out of cards. I feel like it's just as random as if I were to play okay. Yeah. I, I have bad luck, so I actually don't even have a legendary card yet. Oh really? Point. I have probably like fifteen. Yeah, I don't I don't have that much. Um I think I've only been playing what four months? Oh okay. And I've been playing very basically since I launched. Oh, okay, okay, so you've been playing for over a year. So I yeah, I've been playing about three or four months. So that's another thing. Like the people that played since beta or since launch do have an advantage even if you know they haven't spent a dime. Yeah, they they definitely have an advantage in terms of cards. So I think that is one complaint that some people have as uh, newbies. But I mean, you can still have fun as a newbie. So the only way to get cards then is to open packs, or is there a way to? Is there like a second market or something? Every time you get a certain rank, they do give you an in-game card okay. uh, for free. So, but can you like trade with people or? Is it no, there is no trading. It's not really a trading card game. It's more of 
a collecting card game. Okay. Yeah. I think ahead. Blizzard wanted to do it that way so they couldn't, you know, you couldn't buy your way to the top. Yeah. Like, no, if you're going to spend I, money, you have to spend it with Blizzard to buy, you know, just a ton of packs, basically. Yeah, or and people would make, like, multiple accounts or farm for... Yeah, no, you know. absolutely. Because I, I play Magic Online, and that's... I mean, it's its own currency. People trade tickets and uh, packs for things. But So when when does that expansion come out? Or Grand Tournament just launched... They just launched... Uh, it launched, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, it was pretty recently. Okay. Yeah, so... That was a good time to kind of jump in, because I feel like a lot of those cards are balancing out some of the issues of the older players having a big advantage. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll try it out. Yeah, it's it's simple to get into, and it can be addictive. And speaking of card games, if you do want to play some kind of trading card thing. I recently got into Star Wars Card Trader, which is also equally addictive. Is that an online thing? It is online. Tops. they used to do baseball and football cards online. And then that was, you know, that was going okay. But then they launched Star Wars, I believe earlier this year. And that blew up like crazy. It's like opening trading card packs, like, uh, like physical cards with the artificial rarity, they do that for these digital ones too. So there is artificial rarity. Okay, but is there is there a game involved, or is it just there's no there's no game. It's then why? it's just like oh. pure trading. <laughs> okay, but like recently, I I think I downloaded it at first and got rid of it, and then there's a one of the Kotaku or IO9 had articles on one of these stupid cards. The one of these rare cards selling for over 200 bucks, which is just stupid at that point. But yeah, there's very addicted people to this. So, yeah, merchandise. Okay. Um, so this past uh, long weekend, I went to the Wizard World Con in San Jose, and it wasn't too crowded, but for the price they charged at the door, which was like $55, which was, I don't know, like 15 more than online, they just had some like lame random vendors. Like They had like one vendor that was like a LASIK <laughs> testing station. Um, then they had like HP computers and then, you know, the rest of them were like just the same comic vendors that you would see at most of the cons. I did get to see Bruce Campbell in person though. <laughs> and that was the weirdest panel that I've ever been to. It wasn't Q&A. It was just him and I think one of the Raimi's, Raimi brothers. I think it was Ted Raimi. Um, oh, that's not a famous one. <laughs> he's in like bit roles in a lot of the the Sam Raimi projects. So like the not <laughs> so exactly the non famous. <laughs> yeah, who he played this like European magician who was really bad at magic, and that was the whole panel was Bruce and him like just messing around. So yeah, Wizard World. I'm not going to that ever again. 
unless it's in like one of the bigger cities where it might actually be hype. Or to demo our game. Yeah, yeah, to, we can demo our game at one of them. That weekend, I also played a new deck building game. So my buddies in the anime, and people in the anime are often into kind of like weird, I don't know, pervy artwork. So my friend had bought, he bought a made game that was missing cards. So he went to the, he was at San Diego Comic-Con and he went to the vendor to complain about it to get his other cards, which he got from them. And then they were telling him about this other game. So he's like, he's at a convention and he feels like buying stuff. So he's like, all right, it has, you know, cute girls and pervy positions. So he dropped some money down for it and even bought like the play mat for it. And he was describing to his girlfriend, like, Oh, I bought this game and we should play it, Uh but it's weird because you're invite, you're invading Russia. And she's Jewish, and she's like, what, you're playing as the Nazis? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then he looks closer at the game, and you're playing as a fictional Third Reich. (laughs) (laughs) So originally the game was launched, and it had super realistic artwork, and it didn't sell well. And then someone bought the rights to it and reskinned it with, you know, the pervy anime artwork and then it became a big hit in Japan. And the name of the game, uh Barbosa, is actually the actual name of the mission that uh the Nazis had to go in and invade Russia. So it's a pretty um straightforward, easy to learn deck building game that's actually surprisingly fun. Um but it just has a very weird theme to it. But you do have that problem with most deck building games where in the beginning you have that four or five turns of just build up, but then you have, you know, different cards that'll get you extra turns or extra actions or, um, boost up your money. And you have different missions, different little towns that you can invade. And then eventually you have bigger towns. And then the final thing is invading Moscow. So if you want something really weird to play, um, it plays well, despite the controversial theme to it. Does it do anything like, like unique though, in, in terms of deck building, or is it just? I think it came out pretty early, like probably around the time of, time of Dominion or slightly after. So the mechanics. Yeah, 2010. Yeah, I think the original one might have earlier than that and then they reskinned it okay yeah the english one just came out yeah so i mean the game's been around so it was in the early days of deck building games so it doesn't do anything unique i don't think but the mechanics are just very straightforward and sound okay yeah i mean i remember seeing it they launched it actually on kickstarter okay the english version anyways and that just came out a couple months ago yeah, even the description says cute German girls or ch- ger- German military girls. So. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all like. There's a reason I didn't look at the picture. Okay, Jerry. Jerry's well, a I'm not into anime. <laughs> <laughs> they even have a card that says like 
the Fuhrer's Fury, and it has like oh this my god, terrible, <laughs> really not in the Nazi way. Like, it's just a little girl, like this cute little girl looking grumpy. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's so weird. Oh god, what is this? <laughs> I'm like board game geek right now. What is it? <laughs> oh man, they got this. There's like this three year old Asian kid holding a copy of the game. So <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, the the artwork's like highly suggestive, very uh, <sighs> fan servicey. You know, I wonder, man, this gets me thinking. You know, there are some video games that are just like so bad, but they're so like worth paying, playing through, or like playing to have done it. Yeah, I wonder if there's board games like that. No, there is. My friend was telling me that they have a playthrough video somewhere. I don't know if it's official or not, but yeah, it's definitely on YouTube. Yeah, it probably just links to some hentai or something. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing uh, a play session. Oh, there's a review by Board Game Brawl. Oh, yeah? Oh, okay. So sh- what you're saying is you-, you want a copy of it so we can play it and get a play session. I'm just saying, he's, he's only got 2,700 views on his, uh, <laughs> on his review of it. <laughs> I guess there's not that many people into Nazi. I know. You just got to put the clickbait, you know, for your YouTube picture <laughs> and then get those views up. I don't know. The Japanese liked it. It is highly suggestive. Like, what? Wow. No, they're definitely not shy about this thing. I don't think my wife would appreciate me owning a copy of this. <laughs> what is this chiming in? She goes, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very suggestive in the poses. and How like, did you not know pose? this was a game about Nazis? The back of the cards have the Iron Cross and the Eagle thing on them. <laughs> <laughs> With the I red and black like flag. Like, it is very clearly Dave. <laughs> a Nazi <laughs> game. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I knew that right away when I saw it, but I don't know, my friends, uh, I don't um, think I've ever used those words in combination before. Nazi anime game. Well, we were talking about it, and Japan has a different look in terms of history, because they were allies with the Nazis. <laughs> they were allies with the Nazis. Um, I guess so. So their their whole outlook is, I have to say, probably different than what the western world is yeah if you search uh, nazi anime game the first result is four reasons this one kickstarter proves humanity is doomed from crack.com <laughs> well done <laughs> softcore nazi anime hey, board card game. i don't know some people like a lot of people hated tomorrow which we talked about in our last podcast because of the theme though because we were like basically slaughtering millions of people but you're slaughtering people cooperatively to save the world yeah the greater good like the nazis thought they were doing oh uh, i don't know if that quite fits the same because uh, <laughs> you're killing right. everybody and which one we're killing we mostly kill indians though and the chinese <laughs> so let's yeah whites basically because Europe and America don't really get attacked because they don't have enough people. Especially Europe. They, they're just not producing babies anymore. 
And our podcast took a little a political turn this week. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any uh, transition out of it. There is none. We're screwed. No, I I am picking up, I think, two deck builders pretty soon here. I think Legendary Encounters Predator is finally out. Very interested to play through that. And then uh, there's a game called Arctic Scavengers. It also came out. It's actually by the same publisher of Rio Grande Games. Okay. Or the same publisher of Dominion, which... In Puerto Rico. Yeah, but that has nothing... No, it has nothing to do with it, but they publish Puerto Rico. They also publish. Okay. (laughs) But it was kind of an early deck builder that is actually pretty thematic. It's like you're in an Arctic desolate wasteland. Everyone's trying to survive, and instead of, I guess, building things, your resources are literally like refugees and shovels and pickaxes. You do have mercenaries or like people you can add to your tribe in terms of the traditional deck building mechanic where you have the piles laid out. But the majority of your resources and stuff you find come from a large like scrap pile or the junkyard pile. And you play resources. So instead of knowing exactly what you're buying, you'll say, okay, I'm going to dig like three cards into the junkyard deck by spending, you know, three whatever tools or whatever. And then you get to keep one of those cards and put the rest on the bottom. So. It's kind of an interesting mechanic, but it's got pretty good buzz, and they just recently did a reprint, so I'm going to try to get my hands on a copy of that, of those two games, so we can just test it out. But it sounds like it also has some uh, similarities to our game, The Heist, which is still happening. Just, uh, yeah. Cool. When are you getting them? Maybe this week or something. Speaking of this anime stuff... There's a game called Shadow Hunters. It's got an anime theme. It's from Z-Man Games. It's one of these werewolf mafia type of games where you have hidden rules. So you have the hunters, you have the hunted, maybe, and neutrals. So everyone has... You got like half those wrong. Man, whatever. Like... You have the shadows, the hunters, and the neutrals. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. That's why it's called Shadow Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and you have neutrals as well. Like I said, it's similar to those games where you have to discover what everyone else is, but there's interaction in the sense that there's cards that let you look at what what someone else is, and you can like attack people, and things happen on like a board where your location matters. So, I don't know, I figure because of our group's play style, it would be one to try out, you know? And just see how it how it plays. So yeah, I don't know. That's just a, a kind of a look at what's down the road. But let's talk about a game that we did actually play called Journey. Wrath of Wrath. Demons, right? Yeah. Next time on Dragon Ball Z, Gohan's muscles erupt with his newly bridled power. So Journey Wrath of Demons is a cooperative board game. I'm guessing maybe it's similar to like Descent or something, but everyone is playing through. You each play a different character. You can play it solo or up to four people because there's four heroes at the moment. And I guess you fight through different maps with different objectives. The base game comes with 10 missions or quests, and they'll be constantly like demons spawning and stuff and you. I guess, fight to defeat them and everything. I don't know. In terms of gameplay, I feel like it's pretty 
it hits all the the points you need for a cooperative game. You have a an enemy respawner. You have objectives, items you can pick up. You know what I mean. But then the focus of the game, how it differs than other cooperative games, is movement and combat. So positioning is really important, and then you're constantly fighting units. So there's, I don't know if the threat of dying seems greater, but there's definitely more opportunities for a single player to be eliminated, especially if you're the guy that everyone is trying to kill. Well, and I think that's an important point to make, is that uh, what is his name? Tripitaka. If he dies, then like the quest is is over. Like you lose. So while there's four characters, one of them is a little bit more important in keeping it live than the other ones. I just want to note that I absolutely love the artwork for this game. I thought the box looks incredible, and I, I think it really fits um, the theme. Now, granted, I had never heard of the Chinese novel or story before this, so I don't really know if it truly does fit like what the story is like, but to me, as just someone walking in, I think it, it looks awesome and really would make me want to play it regardless if I knew what the game was or not. Yeah, the original Chinese story was about a monk heading to India to find the sutras, and then along the way he picks up disciples one which is the monkey king and then there's a a pig monster and then also a water monster oh i had a badass rake though so that was kind of sweet yeah so i mean if you're familiar with things like dragon ball he borrowed from that um in the beginning and then veered away off of that when it got to the z series but it's in asia especially it's a pretty famous tale and they meet like various demons and monsters who are trying to eat Tripitaka because the story went that if you ate his flesh, you could become immortal. Well, that sucks. So that's why everyone's trying to kill him. Got it. Why wouldn't he just eat himself? Okay. Um. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> yeah, like Sean said, so it's it's considered like the, one of the four great classical Chinese, the four pillars of Chinese <laughs> novel. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually a real thing, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't name the other four. I, I assure you, it's a real thing. Haters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like this crazy long epic. It's known as Journey to the West. You hear it often. I think Neil Gaiman's actually writing a a treatment of a possible version. There's been many long epic. Yeah. There's been comics, toys, uh, movies. Um, I think the most recent one was a Stephen Chow take on it, and then Donnie Yen. Was... Yeah, Donnie Yen did one recently too. So I think for horrible. for a lot of like uh, young Asian kids growing up hearing this tale, he, he's almost like a the Monkey King, anyway. He's almost like this like superhero figure because he's very well. He's very mischievous, but he's super powered as well. You know. Yeah, he has like eighty-eight different morphing powers or whatever. He jumps on the you know floating cloud. Uh, Flying Nimbus. Yeah. <laughs> and then it actually, um, he goes into the heavens and, like, basically wrecks a lot of the stuff in heaven. So there's a lot of Buddhism and the various Buddhist yeah, gods. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine if it. you gave, like, a 10-year-old kid the powers of Superman, 
And then he like threw a tantrum every time. Like <laughs> that's that's kind of how <laughs> the first fifteen, twenty chapters of that book are. It's just him getting pissed off and then causing a whole bunch of mayhem. And he has the special staff too. Yeah, he has a staff that can grow and shrink. He himself can grow and shrink or shape change into other people. And then Tripitaka has to keep the Monkey King in line with a special headband that will start, like, crushing his skull. Yeah. Yeah. She was, like, starts chanting something, and then the band will start squeezing. So you'll always see him, even in the artwork for Journey, if you guys go to the link, you'll see... uh, He's got the headband. Another thing about the components, in addition to the artwork being really cool, I like their take on it, you know. They kind of stray from the whole, the entire story, overarching story, and have it more about demons have escaped and they're trying to seal them away by journeying with. But it borrows so much from it and the lore. The demons, in the game and in the story, there's like a bull demon general. He's one of the main uh, antagonists, so I think they borrowed that story in particular but in later expansions they'll be journeying into like i think the spider demons and stuff like that the miniature quality really really good yeah. super detailed and they're they're larger than average which i feel like is a a growing trend now but they pack a ton of them in there but they're just absolutely gorgeous i think more so than like cthulhu wars even oh really well, I think one of the reasons Cthulhu Wars are so awesome is because how the size of them. Yeah. Yeah. And these aren't that size, but they still are a good hunk of, of plastic. There, I do believe they're they're plastic and not resin, right? Jim? Correct. At first glance, it, conf- it like fools a lot of people. I do think maybe they went a little bit too detailed on some of the characters. <laughs> Intact uh, genitalia on uh, most of the models. Yeah. And I'm not talking like a little bump. I mean, they like went into major like sculpting detail. So I would hate to have that job, I guess. You know, what did you do today? Oh, I sculpted out testicles all day long. <laughs> Tiny plastic ones at that. I, I thought the game was actually really fun. You know, I think it does kind of run into the trap that most cooperative games do of everybody kind of quarterbacking each other of what, go do this, go do that. But at the same time, I think it really does give you a sense of almost like helplessness at some times. You know, you're just surrounded by demons. It's like, all right, which one do I kill? Because there's five of them. There is quite a bit of luck, I would say, involved on your your dice rolls. Yeah, combat is resolved through, through dice rolling. And while you have certain cards that can modify those for the most part, you still have to roll well. But I think we did try to make it harder on ourselves with keep trying to go for that good karma and saving the demon's soul instead of just banishing them. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the aspects or mechanics in the game. You have like a good and bad karma, and each one unlocks different abilities. If you've ever played like Dante's Inferno, the video game, and other games like that, basically when you kill a demon, you can choose to either purify it or cleanse its soul or you can just kill it straight up and earn the negative karma so when you choose to roll for the cleanse if you miss or you don't roll enough points let's say some some units take two to cleanse it if you miss then you basically have to defeat the demon again which requires another attack roll they have jangsu and the coffins yeah that's awesome 
they have hopping vampires. I can't wait to get those. I ordered. That was something I didn't want to miss out on. But you guys can see from the artwork and the minis. Also, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we did an unboxing of it. But components-wise, I feel like it's one of the... Basically, that and Cthulhu Wars right now, I think, are, are like the absolute top of the game. In terms of games that I've been able to pick up. Even the dice, man. Like, they're... I don't know. They're big and they feel really good. Like the balls they sculpted. <laughs> Talk about the dice, man. No. You like holding them in your hand, we know. Like I was saying, I, I like that it's a, a miniatures game. Well, it's not the deepest, and that may change as, as different missions go um, on. And you have different objectives. We only played through the first two, so it was basically like kill everything. You always have a more difficult objective if you want more points basically or like a beat it on extreme difficulty you have alternate objectives which you can complete to make the game harder on yourself but i like that it's modular in that sense um one of the things they could have done better is to clarify a little bit movement like positioning but mostly the demon ai there's like a four-step aggro process that you have to go through to determine like which way it'll move towards. Because ultimately they're trying to kill Tripitaka, but other enemies will pull aggro. So it's not always immediately apparent which or like what they should do. So there's some interpretation which we may have gotten wrong, but it was a really good time playing it though. Cool. Did my copy come in also? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, really awesome game. Yeah, I definitely want to try sometime. Yeah, we'll get another session in. I think uh, I just gave the files to Jared to edit, so it's a long session. Our first playthrough was not the greatest. Uh, <laughs> we've been saying you got to keep Tripitaka alive, so what we did was march him straight towards the place that is spawning <laughs> demons that can kill him. <laughs> you guys are... Yeah, and then so like five of them come out and just like start murdering, him. and he runs away. Him really scrambling to like because okay, so if he's at the gate, he can perform an action and um seal it off. So we were like, okay, he could just seal it off, and we'll be done with those guys. No. Hey, get it over with. Because the other thing about dice, in addition to so for combat, when you're attacking, you roll dice, but also when you're attacked, you roll defense dice, and for whatever reason. I kept rolling, like, the highest number I could. Yeah, like, it was like every single time we'd roll to, like, attack each other, like, roll on behalf of the demons, we'd roll, like, crazy high rolls, and then every time we would have to roll, like, our own attacks, we'd be rolling, like, ones. It's like, yeah. come on. I know. That, that second mission, that big guy that none of us could kill. Oh, yeah, that was really bad. Was it the demon with the horn? It was, like, the general... With the giant hammer. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then those archers were pretty killer, too. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to the expansions. I didn't get the, like, full-on white bone or spider demon expansion, but I did get, like, the extra hunters, so you can play as, like, a female or the big panda bear guy, which, he looks awesome. And then one of the, like, one of the dragon bosses. And, of course, the hopping juncture that Dean mentioned. Yeah, I hope to play that when I get down there. The other option is the flying Nimbus, but am I really ready to give it up? Why not? If you can ride it, it's yours! 
Come to me, flying nimbus! He's weird. I think it's his mind that's clouded. Have patience, little ones. It's on its way. Oh, here it comes. I said early on, not like a really overarching theme, but I think we were able to get a lot of games in and have a good time with them. Some exciting news. I Completely randomly, I got Kittens in a Blender. Well, how long after you kickstarted it? Two years? Oh. Uh, this is 2012, I think. <laughs> Whoa. I still say you should burn it and post it. I don't know. It's pretty Put easy. it in a blender and post it. Nice. Kittens in a blender in a blender. So... I'm showing the guys the box. I'll do an unboxing. I was just so shocked. I was like, what the heck? Like, I didn't know what to do with it. And maybe I still might blend it, but... Man. So the box looks like twice as big compared to the original. I got the expansion. So they basically... They got a new printer for the expansion, so they reprinted the original game, and it just took them three years, even though it was already released through regular distribution, and people have bought it before. So, did they... Give a reason of why. Oh, I don't know. It's just your typical Kickstarter BS. Oh, we messed up our printing. Oh, we yeah. messed up our layout. Oh. oh. We messed this up. Oh, I now have heart problems. Oh, <laughs> I now have ulcers. Like, no. <laughs> my mom was sick. Yeah. They used oh, my mom to sick a lot, too. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, like, um... <sighs> Like a random problem generator. Oh, I know. But they just keep on, all right, we need a problem. Let's click the random generator button. And there's only like four options. <laughs> all right, before we sign off, I do want to shout out. Um, we actually got a lot of feedback this time. We got to meet one of our listeners in person, a few Facebook comments and stuff like that. So people are actually listening to us and I guess. Uh... Yay. How many more random episode four downloads? Oh my gosh, it's still like <laughs> just every other day we get two downloads on it. it. Okay, it'd be different if it was just like one, like one download on it. But two downloads on it on a single day is like, why? Doesn't make any sense. That, that's double the amount of one. Good job, Jay. Yeah, but what are the what's the probability that two people will listen to the same podcast episode? If you do um, listen to our podcast or watch any of our videos, be sure to give us a share or at least a comment or something um, for future videos. We share it out on Facebook to try to you know reach as many people. But the more you can kind of you know share it with people you think would be interested in learning more about board games, we would appreciate that as well. Or just share it with people you hate. Hey, go listen to this podcast. It sucks. <laughs> You would love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so keep the comments and stuff coming in. Or we'll have to track you down in person like we did for this. <laughs> this oh, oh, so that's what sucks. We just Wait, shouted out. You guys stalked someone? <laughs> you guys stalked a listener? No, Jay did. No, I didn't. I just, uh, whatever. Man. <clears throat> no, so, okay. <laughs> Remember how we we gave a shout-out to Isaac last podcast, and then he didn't like our, our status this time. I don't know what's on Oh, what a jerk. Oh, man. <laughs> it's been rescinded, man. I should go and take that out. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. So if that's it, please check us out on our YouTube channel, on Facebook, and Twitter at Out of Space Games. You can also find episode four on SoundCloud. <laughs> I don't think I've updated it. And <laughs> Is that why we get two new listeners? <laughs> Maybe. Oh, oh, because hey, of Santa. Hey. That could be it. <laughs> Never really. <laughs> so, podcast and iTunes, also on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and other great podcatchers. Yeah, I appreciate the listen. So, without further ado, my name is Jay. My name is Sean. I'm David. I'm Dean. And I'm Jared. We're out of space games. Catch you next time. We're out of time.